Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Green lights for the impeachment inquiry. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer Koshenka on this Thursday, December 14th. Glad you could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour. House Republicans have voted to formally authorize an impeachment inquiry against President Biden trying to shore up their oversight powers. The Dow Industrials reached a new high after the Federal Reserve said it could cut rates three times next year. There are 31 days until the Iowa caucus. Will the Republican presidential primary be over that night? We'll have analysis. And why all airlines, not just the budget carriers, should charge us for carry-on bags. I know that this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but my sort of take on this is if airlines are going to charge for something, they should charge for the thing that people most want. So when I travel, I really prefer to travel with only carry-on. Zach Wichter at USA Today on the battle for carry-on space in an overhead bin. House Republicans have taken their biggest step toward impeaching President Biden. They voted along party lines yesterday to formally authorize their impeachment inquiry, alleging Mr. Biden financially benefited from his family's foreign business dealings. Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer of Kentucky. It's very clear the White House has been uh, obstructing our investigation. I think the message sent today is very loud and clear. We expect them to comply. The vote to authorize the inquiry came the same day the president's son, Hunter Biden, defied a subpoena to testify in a Capitol Hill deposition behind closed doors. Democrat Jamie Raskin of Maryland. The bottom line is they understand there's no real evidence to support any presidential offense here. They haven't even named what they think the crime is, which makes this a very unusual proceeding. While GOP lawmakers have obtained testimony that Joe Biden, before becoming president, met with his son's business associates, they haven't established that he profited from his family's overseas endeavors. Stocks reached a record high after the Federal Reserve said it's penciling in at least three cuts to its key interest rate next year. That's less than market pricing of four, but more aggressive than what officials had previously indicated. Investors embraced the news, sending the Dow Industrials higher by more than 500 points, or 1.4%, passing the 37,000 mark for the first time. Diane Swank is chief economist for KPMG. The Fed has now sort of done a 180 on going from fearing that it needed a recession to cool inflation to realizing that the economy has been relatively strong with inflation coming down like a rock, Why not let it go a little stronger? After yesterday's meeting, the Federal Open Market Committee voted unanimously to keep the benchmark overnight borrowing rate in a range of between 5.25 and 5.5 percent due to the inflation rate easing and the economy holding steady. The committee's dot plot of individual committee members' expectations indicates another four cuts in 2025. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan is meeting with top Israeli officials today and tomorrow in the Biden administration's latest effort at high-stakes diplomacy in the Middle East. The primary focus, growing disagreements between President Biden and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. There are mounting civilian casualties in Gaza as Israel seeks to root out Hamas terrorists and differences in opinion about what a future for Palestinians should look like in a post-war Gaza. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. Airstrikes, for instance, have reduced since they've started uh, to move more towards the south. They have relied less and less on airstrikes and more and more on ground troops, which allows you to be more precise. So they have taken measures to act on that intent. 
Mr. Sullivan is also set to discuss efforts to release the eight American hostages who remain under Hamas control. Prior to his arrival in Israel, Mr. Sullivan traveled to Saudi Arabia to meet the country's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Dell's holiday event is one of their biggest sales of the year. Shop limited time deals on laptops like the stylish, innovative XPS 13, engineered to do it all on the Intel Evo platform. Plus, save big on ultra-sharp monitors and top-brand accessories. The perfect time to upgrade any home, business, or gaming setup powered by Intel Core processors. Shop now at dell.com deals to take advantage of huge savings and free shipping on everything. That's dell.com deals. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Thursday for the last year. Donald Trump's primary opponents have been hoping Iowa would be the former president's glass jaw. At this point, a month from the Iowa caucus, it's looking like reinforced steel. We're just 33 days away from Iowa, first in the nation. I wonder how you got that. Do you got that because of me? First in the nation caucuses, and uh, we're going to keep you first in the nation for a long time. Shelby Talcott, campaign reporter at Semaphore, says Trump's huge lead in the polls complicates the path forward for his remaining opponents. Will the Hawkeye state be the end of the road? Shelby, set the scene. Yeah, the big thing I was looking at was obviously the poll that came out earlier this week, which found that Trump over the past few months in Iowa has actually increased his lead. And so it found that 51 percent of likely Republican caucus goers in Iowa want Trump as their first choice. And Ron DeSantis is sitting in second place in a very distant second place with 19% of the vote. Nikki Haley's at 16. And so it just sort of showed that the the massive hurdle that some of these non-Trump candidates have to overcome come mid-January in Iowa, which is a state where most of the non-Trump candidates have essentially bet almost all everything on winning or yeah. doing well there. Well, it's really it, it, the only question really who's going to finish second, I guess, right? Yes, and that's kind of the goal for all of these non-Trump candidates. It's not necessarily to come out and beat Trump in Iowa or beat Trump in New Hampshire or any of these early states. It's to come in a close enough second where they become the clear and only alternative to Trump. We're speaking with Shelby Talcott, 2024 campaign reporter at Semaphore. And her piece is called, Will Iowa End the 2024 Republican Contest Before It Even Begins? What could happen where, say, everybody not named Trump just throws in the towel after Iowa? It's probably not likely, but I mean, what could happen, I guess? Yeah, I I do think that's unlikely. But then, you know, it becomes very clearly Trump is the nominee and it becomes a most likely a Trump versus Biden situation, a rematch of the last presidential election. And what I think is more likely to happen is we are probably going to see at least one non-Trump alternative stay in the race. And I wouldn't be surprised if two or three stay in the race. And that's really what people who want, uh, if people who want somebody other than Trump, they're really worried about that because that ends up splitting the vote. And the end result there is nobody gets close enough to really even argue that they are the only non-Trump competitor in the race. Yeah. I I was surprised to read, I guess, um, we've heard a lot about uh, Nikki Haley endorsements lately, whether it's uh, Chris Sununu, the the governor of New Hampshire, or the Koch enterprise getting behind her. But she only has one congressional endorsement, and that's that's from her home state of South Carolina. 
Yeah, that was really interesting to me as well as, as I was researching a little bit for this piece. Nikki Haley has not gotten the same amount of endorsements or even close to it as Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump. And I think in a way that sort of suggests, based on the fact that she is the only one who is who is rising in any way in, in many of these polls, it, it raises the question of how much endorsements ultimately matter. And if you talk to her team, they'll argue that they don't matter that much, right? Of but of course, if she had gotten more endorsements, I'm confident that she would be touting them as DeSantis and Trump are. What does history tell us, perhaps, about what happens after Iowa and New Hampshire? Is that when the fall off begins? Yeah, I think I think certainly we're going to see people fall off. I know Chris Christie is is banking it all on New Hampshire, so I would expect any change to his campaign to come after New Hampshire. But but you do see, particularly with someone like Ron DeSantis, who is has been so focused on Iowa and almost exclusively focused on the state, if he does not perform well there, I think that's a situation where we could see someone like him drop off, whereas Nikki Haley has focused on Iowa, but also kind of kept eggs in the basket in New Hampshire and South Carolina. And so she's got a little bit more leeway to not perform as well in the state. Thanks, Shelby. Shelby Talcott, campaign reporter at Semaphore. 20 minutes after the hour on This Morning, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. The House approved opening an impeachment probe into President Biden hours after his son Hunter defied a congressional demand to testify on Capitol Hill, marking an escalation in the battle between the White House and Republicans. The House voted 221 to 212 along party lines to formally authorize Republicans' impeachment probe to determine whether the president had ties to his son's overseas business dealings. Republican Congressman Tom Cole of Oklahoma. With today's resolution, we're ensuring that the House will be able to complete its inquiry. We will secure the evidence we need and uncover the facts we need to make the full and fair determination. While GOP lawmakers have obtained testimony that Joe Biden, before becoming president, occasionally met with his son's business associates, they have not uncovered support for those claims or established that he profited from his family's overseas endeavors. Number two. The impeachment vote Wednesday followed a rare public remark from Hunter Biden at the Capitol. He said he was willing to testify publicly, not behind closed doors, so Republicans couldn't selectively leak portions of his statements. There's no evidence to support the allegations that my father was financially involved in my business because it did not happen. The younger Biden has faced legal scrutiny over his overseas business dealings as well as alleged tax evasion. Number three. A federal judge has paused Donald Trump's election interference case while the former president appeals her refusal to toss criminal charges he faces on presidential immunity grounds. The ruling could delay the start of Trump's trial, which is currently scheduled to begin in early March. In her order, Judge Tanya Chutkin wrote that Trump's pending appeal automatically stays any further proceedings that would move this case toward trial or impose additional burdens of litigation on him. Chutkin added that her ruling does not suspend a gag order on Trump. Your 401k is looking pretty good this morning with the Dow Industrial standing at an all-time high. The Dow rallied 512 to 37,090 yesterday after the Federal Reserve signaled it could begin cutting interest rates in 2024. Diane Swank is chief economist at KPMG. The markets have really taken off on the concept that the Fed is done 
Uh, we got an early Christmas present from Jay Powell with a full pivot. All three major indexes are on track for their seventh consecutive weekly gains. We like that. Yeah. Yeah, keep that news up. Thank you, Jen. Ozempic, Wegovi, and other popular new drugs help people lose weight by eating less. Some food makers have spotted an opportunity. They're pitching their products as natural alternatives to the drugs or developing companion products for patients. Here's Jesse Newman, food reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Jesse, take us through it. So food companies like everyone else have been watching as, you know, demand for these diabetes and weight loss drugs has just gone crazy. And, you know, some of them are starting to look for ways to cash in. And they are pitching companion products. Some of them are even pitching their products as natural alternatives. So they're just really looking for a way to turn this into these drugs into an opportunity. Uh, So somebody like Nestle, for example, you spoke to, what are they saying? That's right. So Nestle says that it has been, you know, it's been watching these drugs and researching them for a while. They're talking about developing some companion products. Uh, that would specifically help drug patients who could be losing muscle mass as they are losing weight or even potentially not getting enough nutrition. So obviously, if you're eating fewer calories, there is a risk that you aren't necessarily getting the nutrition that you need, that you could be losing muscle mass when you you know shed pounds quickly. And Nestle wants to come up with products um, that, uh, you know, that will that will help you address that. Yeah. So that that's mostly shakes or it could be other type of food that's what protein rich. What are they doing? So Nestle hasn't specified, but you have other companies like Abbott, which, you know, makes medical devices. It also makes, if you're familiar with the Insure shakes, Mm -hmm. they have been a little bit more specific. They said that they are designing a protein laden nutrition drink, you know, that also could help boost your muscle mass. And then you've got General Mills, who's talked about also coming out with products that are well suited to drug patients that would also um, be for those looking for a lot of protein in their diets. Well, we're speaking with Jesse Newman, food reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Her story is called Ozempic and a Protein Shake. Food makers prep weight loss drug side dishes. This is, uh, I think, is suggested in the story really could reshape diets. Yeah, I mean, that is the, you know, that, that that's why the food makers are paying such close attention, um, you know, because they're all really interested in, well, you know, is this going to dramatically reduce calorie consumption among, you know, and if these drugs are ultimately taken by millions and millions of people, is this going to reduce our calorie consumption? And how is it going to change what people are eating? Is it going to change the portion sizes they're interested in? Is it going to change, you know, what sort of foods they're drawn to? Because we've seen, you know, we've start to see, started to see talk about that as well. This uh, Michael Pfeiffer from Chicago that you spoke to, what's he going through? Yes. So he says that since he began taking the drugs last year, he has just, you know, he started snacking a lot less. He's eating a lot more fresh food and less packaged food. He's look he's sort of leaning towards high protein foods. He says it was fascinating. He says he's eating a lot more eggs. He's doubled his monthly egg consumption and that he's just eating more chicken, more turkey, more nuts. And he's also eating a lot more protein shakes. I think for some people, um, you know, they aren't, they just don't, want a full meal. And so a protein shake is a really good way they feel to get um, to get what they need, uh, you know, while while, you know, not sitting down to a, a three course meal. Thanks, Jesse. Jesse Newman, food reporter at The Wall Street Journal. 
Hey everyone, it's Gordon Deal here to talk about some of the most fun you can have if you love sports, and that's with Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. You pick more than or less than on a handful of player projections and watch the winnings roll in. For example, mix and match football and basketball. Maybe your entry is Christian McCaffrey for more than 99 yards rushing and Jason Tatum for fewer than eight rebounds. If you know your stuff, you can turn 10 bucks into $250 with just a few taps. My friends and I love it. To get started and have your first deposit matched up to $100, go to prizepicks.com slash deal and use code deal. Also, if a player you pick gets injured and leaves the game, PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Your player is rebooted. prizepicks.com slash deal and use the code deal. That's prizepicks.com slash deal and the code deal. Again, prizepicks.com slash deal and code deal. Hey, thanks for being with us. Welcome into Thursday, December 14. Gordon Deal with Jennifer Koshenka. Some of our top stories and headlines. House Republicans formally okay an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. The election subversion trial for Donald Trump is on hold while an appeals court considers his immunity. Stocks rocketed higher after comments by the Fed. Tesla recalling more than 2 million vehicles over the autopilot system. Raiders and Chargers in Thursday night football. Draymond Green of the Warriors suspended indefinitely by the NBA and where not everyone loves a massive massive display of Christmas lights that story in about 20 minutes many of America's small businesses have experienced an economic whiplash over the past four years small business owners navigated the COVID-19 pandemic only to reemerge into an economy that served up a new set of challenges some have taken drastic measures to survive. Examples from Hannah Aaron Lang, reporter at MarketWatch. Hannah, what are they saying? What owners told us is that the largest challenges facing small businesses today in 2023, uh, they do actually look relatively familiar. Um, they were challenges in 2022 um, and even starting to take shape back in 2021, coming right out of the pandemic. Um, and yeah, those challenges are higher costs, harder to find workers, a uh, little more recently, higher interest rates. Um, and these are broader, persistent challenges throughout the economy, but they can and they have really hit small businesses hard and they haven't gone away. Yeah. All right. So some of them have taken uh, to these drastic measures. This Linda's Bar and Grill in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. What would they do or what are they doing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is one of the businesses I talked to. Um, who have really struggled to to get back to a pre-pandemic sense of normal, uh, so to speak, uh, just because of all of these challenges that I've mentioned. And uh, what the owner, Chris Carini, had to do in order to keep the business afloat, um, you know, given all of these challenges, was launch a GoFundMe uh, and ask uh, members of the town and members of the community to pitch in and essentially donate to the restaurant uh, so that it could keep going and uh, stay afloat financially uh, through the academic year since since it is based in a college town so yeah he had to take some some pretty drastic steps to keep the business alive uh, thankfully he said folks were kind and donated and and they're in a better spot a much better spot now than they were but uh, just goes to show you uh, how hard these things can can hit small business owners mm. we're speaking with Hannah Aaron Lang personal finance reporter at market watcher stories called small business owners face a punishing cocktail of labor shortages inflation and rising rates uh, who else has done something clever to survive here uh, well I did talk to a bookstore in Lincoln Nebraska called Francie and Finch who pivoted their business model a lot during the pandemic 
while they were closed down during the worst months of 2020. And the owner, Leslie Huerta, shared with me that uh, she focused a lot on online sales or they really built out their online ordering and delivering business and that lots of folks were actually buying a lot of books during the pandemic and, and in the months thereafter. Uh, she called them an affordable luxury for people. Um, and because of that, you know, their business has been able to thrive and and continue to do well long after their, door, their doors opened again. And she actually shared with me that this small business Saturday this past November, around the time of Black Friday, was, was their best uh, sales day on record yet. So some folks really have found ways to find the silver lining of this, continue to do really well, found a really strong customer base that that is supportive and um, and continues to, to come back despite higher prices or any of the other pressures facing consumers these days. So despite all of these challenges, there are some businesses that have, have found ways to flourish. Where's small business optimism small right business now? Optimism right yeah, so I think this is, uh, this is another part of the story where the storm clouds begin to gather again, you know, I think there's still a lot of uncertainty out there. And we see that reflected in survey data among small business owners. And I think that matches the way a lot of Americans have felt about the economy this year. It's just been really hard to shake a sense of pessimism among American consumers. Um, you know, I think small business owners in particular, folks still have a lot of questions. I heard from folks that that thoughts of a recession have still loomed for much of this year. The election still lies ahead and folks um, are, are worried about what that could mean either way for the business environment. And I think those kinds of things in combination with just how many challenges we've seen packed into such a short time over the last four years has really created some wariness about. Thanks, Anna. Hannah Aaron Lang, reporter at Market Watch. Thanks for being with us. This portion of the program is brought to you by Discover. Discover wants everyone to feel special with live 24-7 customer service. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. From info about why things are the way they are to strategies for securing overhead bin space, here's what you need to know about luggage when you travel. Insight from Zach Wichter, travel columnist at USA Today, who advocates for all airlines charging for carry-on luggage. Zach, how come? Yeah, so I know that this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but my sort of take on this is if airlines are going to charge for something, they should charge for the thing that people most want. So when I travel, I really prefer to travel with only carry-on. And I think it's actually a way to help speed up the boarding process. If they charged people to carry their bags on and let them check for free, I think some number of people would pay for the convenience. I certainly would, but a fair few would forego carrying on a bag that goes in the overhead bin, check their luggage instead. Uh, and I think that that would speed up the boarding process. So I think it would both be a moneymaker for the airlines and would actually be a more efficient way to travel for a lot of people. So again, I recognize that I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for this. I don't think that people actually want to have to pay for carry-on bags, but I think that in terms of incentive structure, which is what these fees are supposed to be about anyway, mm -hmm. uh, I think that it may be better than the checked bag fees that pretty much every airline charges right now. All right, I can, I can see your point on that. Talk about bags more broadly and why it is that we need to weigh them. Yeah, so it really comes down to safety, both for the airplane and for the people who work below the wing on the tarmac. So 
airplanes, especially small airplanes, are pretty sensitive to weight distribution. And again, want to emphasize here that it's more an issue on small airplanes where a little bit of weight here versus there can really affect the center of balance and the center of gravity. And so part of it is just that uh, pilots on all size aircraft need to know what the weight of the plane is so they can figure out you know, their takeoff parameters, how much fuel they can load, that sort of thing. And then the other reason is that the folks who are loading the bags onto planes need to be aware if it's heavy, essentially, right? Like they're going to handle it differently if it weighs 100 pounds versus if it weighs 25 pounds. And so it's really more about safety, both of the flight and of the workers. And sure, the airlines may use the weight of your bag to extract a couple extra bucks from you, uh, but that's pretty secondary. The safety concerns are the primary thing. Hmm. We're speaking with Zach Wichter, travel columnist at USA Today. He's written a piece called Answers to Your Bag Questions. I always find it puzzling, like uh, you you show up to weigh your bag and yours is 55 and your spouse's is 42 and you you can take stuff out of the heavy bag and and put it in the lighter bag and and avoid the fee and you're still at like roughly what i don't know you know 98 pounds for both exactly and so that that's really where it goes back to what i was saying before where that the weight of each individual bag matters to the person who handles the bag and so That's why they set those limits uh, and kind of give you a hard time if it's over the limit. It's not because it makes a huge difference to the plane if you have 98 pounds of luggage distributed over one suitcase or two and how how those pounds are distributed. It's really about the folks who are loading those bags onto the plane. They need to know if it's going to be a heavy bag that they're about to pick up because it could change kind of the way that they handle it. And if it's especially heavy, it can also be an injury risk to them. Mm. And so it's more about making the folks below the wing aware of what they're about to pick up. And is it always the case that there's not enough overhead bin space? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, Certainly, I fly a lot. um, And on almost every flight that I've been on recently, towards the end of the boarding process, they have to start gate-checking bags. And so... uh, the analyst who I spoke to about this essentially said it's an induced demand problem. Basically, that means that people are going to carry on as much as they can, no matter how much space there is. So the more overhead bin space we put on planes, the more likely people are to carry on bags. uh, And it's just kind of an endless cycle of uh, we're never going to have enough overhead bin space. It's been a problem for ever in the airline industry, essentially. Exactly. Zach Wichter, travel columnist at USA Today. Did you know traditional bed sheets harbor as much bacteria as a toilet seat? The germs in your sheets can cause acne, allergies, stuffy noses, and other gross ailments. Fears, though, that you can put to bed with Miracle Made bed sheets. Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics inspired by NASA that are thermoregulating to keep you at a perfect temperature all night. Miracle Made is self cleaning, self cooling, luxurious, eco friendly bedding designed to protect your skin for more restorative rest. My wife and I love them. Now, my listeners can have a clean night's sleep while saving over 40% and sleep cool all summer and warm all winter. The website, TryMiracle.com 
Shopify.com slash Gordon. Claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% at checkout. Miracle-made products are backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, the website, TryMiracle.com slash Gordon. TryMiracle.com slash Gordon to save big. You can sleep cool, comfy, and clean. Miracle-made bedding, NASA-inspired for out-of-this-world comfort. Sleep clean with Miracle. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Thursday, eight minutes now in front of the hour on this morning. Once again, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. The House has authorized an impeachment inquiry into President Biden, with every Republican rallying behind the politically charged process, despite lingering concerns among some in the party. The investigation has yet to produce evidence of misconduct by the president. The 221 to 212 party line vote put the entire House Republican conference on record in support of a process that could lead to the ultimate penalty for a president, punishment for high crimes and misdemeanors. House Minority leader Hakeem Jeffries calls the whole thing a sham. We are here today on the House floor wasting time and taxpayer dollars on an illegitimate impeachment inquiry because Donald Trump, the puppet master, has directed extreme MAGA Republicans to launch a political hit job. The decision to hold a vote came as House Speaker Mike Johnson faced growing pressure to show progress in what has become a nearly year-long probe centered around the business dealings of Biden's family members. Number two. A stranger accused of breaking into the home of a Detroit synagogue leader has been charged with her murder nearly two months after her body was found outdoors with multiple stab wounds. Prosecutor Kim Worthy says there was no evidence Samantha Wall was killed as a result of anti-Semitism. There are no facts to suggest that this defendant knew Ms. Walls. And there are certainly no facts to suggest that this was a hate crime. 28-year-old Michael Jackson Bolanis of Detroit has been charged with murder, home invasion, and lying to police. Number three. The Supreme Court has agreed to consider whether prosecutors exceeded the scope of federal obstruction laws in hundreds of criminal cases relating to the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol, including special counsel Jack Smith's prosecution of former President Trump. The court's eventual decision could lead to new trials or revised sentencings for alleged January 6 rioters and limit the legal theory Smith can use at trial against Trump. A shelter in Portland, Oregon, is auctioning off a rare discovery from its donation bin, a pair of gold Air Jordan 3 sneakers commissioned by Spike Lee, valued at more than $10,000. Sotheby says the gold shoes were discovered at the bottom of a bin of donations at the transitional Burnside shelter. Proceeds from the auction will go to the Portland Rescue Mission. It's unclear how the shoes came to be in the donation bin. Well, thanks for answering that question. I thought, a shelter? A yep. shelter gets these. I think someone purposely did that. Uh, seems like it. Thank you, Jen. Welcome into Friday Eve. A family in a small town 90 minutes north of New York City holds a world record for having the most lights on a residential property. Not everyone loves it. The New York Times says every year 60,000 visitors stream into Unionville, dwarfing the population of 4,600. Their cars crawling up the wooded, unlit roads to take a slow tour around the home of Timothy and Grace Gay. This year, more than 720,000 lights created the vibrating, pulsating cacophony. For the critics, it's a holiday nightmare. On the busiest nights, the line of vehicles can stretch more than a mile. Residents say cars have parked on their lawns, damaging their grass, and they leave behind empty bottles of booze, dime bags with remnants of marijuana, and in one instance, a jar full of urine. By Mr. Gay's tally, by the way, 20 couples have even gotten engaged under the lights. 
He says if you bring joy and happiness to 50,000 people and 10 or 20 don't like you, he thinks that's a fair trade-off. For Jennifer Koshenka, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.